Welcome back, everybody. We're going to be talking today about the third episode of the first season of Leverage. My co-host today is Corey Eckert with no H. Um, and I just I just learned your last name today. So after we've been friends on Twitter for years. <laughs> We're also real life friends. Yeah, like, yes, I met you in real life. We eat tacos together. <laughs> we do like brilliant stuff together. <laughs> yeah, more than once. That that that's true twitter friendship if you've met each other more than once and you've eaten tacos together that's that's for life right there (laughs) okay so we're talking about the third episode that aired it aired on december 16th 2008 it's called the two horse job got executive producers john rogers and chris downey who co-created the show the writers for this one is uh it's a writer team they're, they go by Reader Glenn, uh, but they are Jessica Reader and Melissa Glenn. So I thought it was really neat. The, this was, um, I believe, their first credited writing job. So the first time they wrote something that was on TV. And the director was Craig Baxley. So in this one, we have a, a shady stockbroker who sets fire to his horse stables um, so he can get the insurance money because his racehorses are underperforming. And that's what shady stockbrokers think you should do in situations like that. One of our team has a personal stake in this job, and uh, it's, spoiler, it's Elliot. And the victim that they're trying to help doesn't actually want any of the the insurance money. He just wants the last remaining, like, surviving horse. And so the team tries to get that horse back, but there's a wrench in the plan when we meet someone from Nate's past, who I'm really excited to talk about because he's just one of the best characters on the show but also one of the best character actors of all time who's been in everything Everything. i meant to pull up his imdb just to go through it i watched leverage after i watched supernatural so i was like what (laughs) that guy's up to no good yeah i don't trust him nope don't trust that guy (laughs) yeah let's start before the beginning of this episode, Corey, when did you get into Leverage? You just said it was after you watched Supernatural. So I got into The Librarians uh, when it came out. Did you watch the movies first? I did, did watch, watch the, the movies. Show? I watched the movies when they came out. My mom is a big fan of them. Uh, and so when the show started airing, I was like, oh, we're going to have to watch this show. Um, so... I got really into the librarians and my best friend said, oh, did you know that they have a whole other like five seasons of a show that the same exact team did? <laughs> um, and I was on winter break. No, well, I was on winter break, but I was also on maternity leave at the time. And mm. so a lot of time nursing in front of the TV with a sleek, a sleeping baby, all of leverage. You uh, know, I, yeah, well, I watched a lot of Leverage in a very short time and then had to go back after maternity leave and never finishing. I've never seen like the last season and a half because you don't have any energy after you have a baby who's not no. sleeping in time anymore. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Right. So he goes it's to sleep a lot and then of whatever I... they want to watch <laughs> and then you go to bed. I watched a lot of Peppa Pig mm-hmm. and I've never seen the last season of Leverage. <laughs> <laughs> Though I love Peppa Pig, she's no replacement for Team Leverage. I'm also still not caught up on the season of the librarians for the same reason, so everything about the librarians is great except Noel Wiley. Okay. Which is a I, bummer because I, he's I, a, I Wiley. He's, he's one of the executive producers. <laughs> uh-huh. Noel Wiley, like Noel Wiley does a fine job. It's that the character is like really superfluous to the mm-hmm. Everything else that's happening, but he keeps showing back up because he's the executive producer. Yeah, and but he's not—he's not in every episode. Okay. Okay. Every time he shows up, you're like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." Can we have more Christian Kane immediately? Yes, I can. I mean, that's how I feel about most things in life. Can I have yeah. more more Christian Kane? So I felt about Angel, and then Leverage. Actually, on Leverage, I think everybody has. Like a perfect amount of screen time and interaction with people. So, but this, yeah, this episode, we we get we get that what we want. We get more Christian Kane. We get to find out a little tiny bit about his backstory. Obviously, he was 
are, are they in Kentucky? They're somewhere where people breed horses. Um, and he has some sort of relationship with this family. Um, and Amy, the the daughter of of Willie, they've obviously have some romantic history. And she's very my, angry. <laughs> my first note about Amy is that I, how much I appreciated that the actress who plays her is like Christian Kane's age, apparently. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes, they 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 are very age appropriate. Right. She's like, I mean, she's a beautiful adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she's very angry that he's back. Um, and actually, she is referenced in uh, the the wedding job, which is the third one on the DVDs, or the third one that they shot, because uh, in that episode, it's not spoilery, because we haven't watched it together yet, but um, Elliot mentions that there was a girl that he almost married. So that's who Amy is. I love uh, when they get back to Leverage HQ and they're talking, like, Hardison has started his rundown of the case and the background of everything. <laughs> Parker raises her hand and asks to be excused, like it's class. Yes. And, which is second only to uh, Sophie then wanting to like check her forehead to see if she has oh. a fever. The thing that I noticed about watching this episode, like having watched like much further into the, these characters, mm-hmm. is that one is that they already have this like really strong dynamic which Amy talks about to Elliot later at the end of the episode she says like you found your family and he's like um (laughs) but their dynamic is already really set up but also that like Sophie and Hardison are really kind of themselves like they're these characters that are not not that like they don't grow through the series but like they're very self-assured kind of characters Mm -hmm. And Elliot and Parker are, and I don't think it's that they're underwritten this early in the series. I just think that they grow so much. Yeah, especially Parker. They seem, Parker especially seems um, more two-dimensional than she does later because you know how much they allowed that character to grow. She's sort of weird, maybe autistic, like, you know. She's definitely, yeah, does not have a lot of social interaction with people and doesn't know how to, how to people, not correctly, but, you know, in a way that blends in. <laughs> yeah, in the, the very first time I saw the, the pilot, like, right when the show first started, was I didn't like Parker's character at all. Like, the beginning of the first episode, I was like, or the end of it, I loved every single person, but I was like, mm-hmm, Parker, she makes me uncomfortable. Like, I felt that... Beth Reescraft, the actor, was like she was just like overacting it. Yeah. But as but as you as Parker grows, you see, oh no, that was like that wasn't her being a bad actress. Like she was she was being a Parker who's a bad person. Like she's not good at being a person. And yeah, and we in our discussion of the first episode, we talked about Elliot is the most emotionally mature of everyone. That's what we kind of came up with. Like he can read a room better. Yeah. Like Sophie, but not in a way that he's going to con people. Like, he can tell what Nate's going through and stuff. But I think he's better at doing that for other people than he is for himself. Yeah. You know, I like don't he, think... he doesn't He doesn't want to let people in just I yet. think what we got, he, like, in this one and just seeing his background with Amy is that he is really comfortable being a lone wolf like thinking of himself that way but he's mm-hmm. super uncomfortable like having to explain like be accountable in any way yeah his decisions or actions to like someone that he has made themselves emotionally vulnerable to him mm-hmm. um, which changes drastically throughout i know the- it's so beautiful i love yeah. it and we get to see um we get to hear Sophie's southern accent for the first time. Yes. Which is which is very nice. Um, I just love her walking through the like the race, the race was just like, oh hi, how are you? Like just talking to strangers. And they're like, oh, I'm I'm well. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then they do the first, um, like kind of our first meet of the Mark, Alan Foss, who he's he's on that show Suits, right? I like don't know he's, he's definitely a handsome guy he's um, what? so there used to be this website called Fame Tracker that was mm-hmm. run by the people who ran television without pity mm. um, oh rest and, in peace that website yeah 
Yeah, for sure. Um, they are now doing the same team is now doing long form um, recaps of shows on previously TV. Oh wow! Oh, okay. Everybody go there. Yeah, everybody go to pre- <laughs> read the long form recaps. Um, anyway, uh, Frame Tracker had this thing that they they called "Hey, it's that guy," where they would <laughs> like um, they would do like a profile on an actor who you like saw all the time, but. Oh my god, that's awesome! Because everybody does. Everybody says that. Oh, it's the, oh hey, it's that guy. Yeah, that's awesome. So that that actor is definitely a hey, it's that guy. Mm-hmm. He's so um, he's so rodenty. He's got those he teeth is, and that nose. Like the, and... the guy who plays um, Pettigrew. Yeah, is in um, a Dickens play as like the same basic character as Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> yeah. Okay like might be the nicest human being in the whole world but he just always gets gets cast as a guy who looks like a weasel i know (laughs) because of genetics like he can't help that really looks like a mouse (laughs) yes he just keeps getting cast as ratty little characters this character i thought was a little over the top yeah and that's the thing i noticed too like having watched the later episodes and, and jumping back that he's a little over the top and like also Sterling when you first meet him is a little bit more like cartoony villainy than he is. And I I wonder if they, I don't know, like it was these writers, their first, yeah, uh, their first screenplay that, you know, was made into a TV episode. But also, I don't, I don't know if subtlety would have worked in this storyline. And and if like like one character being subtle and the other one being over the top, like I think if they almost cancel each other out. Like yes, you want someone equally awful to take out this guy, and, the mark- and then you can screw them both over. And the Mark had to be a really terrible person because like the first thing we know about him is that he burned down the stable. Yes, like insurance money on the horses. Like that's a horrific act. So yeah, I mean they they literally say like horses scream when they're burning yeah. to death they scream yeah so you you can't have this guy be sent like sympathetic at, yeah, all. at, all. at all. all and then you have to make sterling also be completely un- unsympathetic because he's the guy who doesn't want to pay doesn't want to pay off the insurance money but also is looking to blame it like pin it on an innocent person because he doesn't care who's innocent as long as his company doesn't have to write a check and that's yeah. Uh, uh. One of the things that I like about just Sterling's relationship with Nate throughout this series is that he's like just such a well-written foil in terms of like he's just as talented exactly mm-hmm. what Nate does. Yeah, they even um, say, I don't want to say he's better than Nate. <laughs> and then she doesn't even finish that. <sighs> he's like so talented. He has none of Nate's like melodramatic I mean not that Nate's grief <laughs> melodramatic but like it's been a long time and Nate is still like wallowing drunkenly and like my wife left me my life is terrible my and son I, is dead <laughs> well right that was just fine like his grief over that I mean he's yeah, handling it poorly but like my company screwed me over and I'm just gonna drink and be melodramatic <laughs> Sterling's like, I don't have morals. <laughs> this is the perfect job for me. They could screw me over all they want as long Just as they give me a paycheck. I'll never anyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's really sad. Yeah, I don't think we ever find out anything about... But like, Sterling has no background right. story. Like, he doesn't have a family. He doesn't have loved ones. God. You're not like, oh, that's pathetic. You're just like, man, he's really good at screwing Nate over, which is entertaining to watch right and he lives for it oh my gosh oh i was talking about i mean we can just talk about sterling for an hour that's totally fine with me but they this is the first time in the audio commentary that they mention their they have a theft and graft and grift consultant um yes so apollo robbins is i want to do a whole episode on apollo robbins at some point but he um he's like a professional like sleight of hand and grifter and con artist who he was on a show that i can't think of the name it's like master of something um 
where they like would steal things from people on camera and like so you could see how easy it is to like like the the trick that they do where they um they clone the voicemails to make it look like that that trainer had a million voicemails or they like drove around town and with like a 200 rig stole a bunch of information from people's passports just with rfids just as they drove by in a car but he taught the whole crew how to do the the swipes like to steal uh credit cards and like lift oh, yeah. them and then get them back in and he even said that beth was the only one she got so good at it like that she could do it professionally like she could be an actual thief <laughs> i'm like that's terrifying that's so awesome so i love any time on the show like it's my catnip when they talk about like which the names of cons yes like, Cons. What professional con artists name cons? It's just like mm-hmm. my catnip. So anytime they're like, should we pull the blah blah blah? No, we should do the you know whatever. No, when they argue, then they argue over what they're what they're called. There's one in a little <laughs> while that they're like, no, that's the Vegas wake up. Oh no, that's the blah blah blah. The Vegas wake up's when the boyfriend shows up. I don't know what that is, but yeah, that is definitely, I think catnip is the perfect word for it. You're like, yes, just do this all day. Just argue the semantics of cons that I've never heard of. But yeah, yeah they, they, imagine. They, talk, <laughs> they talk about the lost air in this one. So I, I looked it up and there's a, um, I don't know if you know, there's a leverage fan wiki. Of course there is. Which mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to give credit to because they did all the research here. So they, um, they do the Lost Air, which is a classic European long con, and they'll, they'll actually do it twice in the series because they have another one called the Lost Air Job. Um, but um, in this entry, they talk about the most famous one is that of Anna Anderson, who was a Polish factory worker that was found in a German mental institution in 1921. And even though all the DNA evidence proved she was a fraud, she she was convinced and convinced a lot of people that she was the Duchess Anastasia. Um, yeah. yeah. So like where we get that wonderful movie, Anastasia. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't actually true because Anastasia died and they found her body. But it's <laughs> they found the remains. Yes. It's <laughs> fine. Um, and we had John Cusack and a and a key cursor. This can only end in tears. <laughs> I love that movie so much. The movie is so great. And my my sisters and I asked my mom what Dasvidaniya meant. And she was like, and my mom's real good at bullshitting. She's so good. So she was like, oh, it's Russian for eat shit and die. And, and she told us this when the movie came out. So we were young, <laughs> young girls. And so for years, I thought that's what Dasvidaniya meant. And then I felt out it was just like, goodbye. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because my sisters and I used to just yell it at each other. <laughs> so, if you ever want to be offensive to my sisters, just yell "Das Vidanya" at them. And... <laughs> I have a tattoo that says "Carpe Diem," and my dad told our Orthodox Jewish relatives that it means God is a fish. <laughs> Did they believe him? <laughs> They're like, is that why all those Christians have been fish on the back of their car? <laughs> okay, that's great. An uncomfortable Passover Seder. Oh my god. <laughs> Three Wait, hours. Wait, did he tell them that when you were there so you could refute it, or? You no. Know. I was when I loved the Passover Seder after that, I just got some like nasty looks and I was like, mm. if you're all gonna spend five hours making me talk about the plagues, I'm not you know. Yeah, no. <laughs> so okay, the this plot of this episode is yeah. <laughs> getting getting my leverage. Elliot's ex girlfriend whose dad is like his mentor or something. Mm. Who knows? The dad calls Elliot for help, and the team swoops in. Dad doesn't want any money. He just wants the one racehorse. Mm-hmm. The mark terrible. The worst, like, rich, spoiled white dude. And he says, see you. <laughs> At yeah. one point when they're playing. Oh, so they, yeah, so they... they he, like, he plays on his ice. Like, yeah. he's like... <laughs> he's awful. Um, he's all ice. If I yeah. want ice. So they... Ordered. 
Is he like that dude at the restaurant? No. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so they originally, they get the horse back by cheating at poker. Yeah. Which is pretty yeah. simple. And they use, so they like used some card tricks. They were going to use a camera at first and have uh, Parker in the other room to read the cards. But then he brings his own cards. Oh, I just picked these up in the gift shop. So then they have to do some like sleight of hand. They duped Apollo Robbins' hands for some of the switch offs with the cards, nice. which I thought was neat. Yeah. And then the hand that Nate has at the end of the card game the, with the sevens, that was the hand, uh, the same hand from the sting. And they play their poker game, which is a little thing that the writers put in there. It was very nice. Um, yeah. So he, he says, see you. When they're going back and doing their, like, isn't this clever? You missed this. You didn't, you know, the little mm-hmm. switch back what the con was. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do it sometimes for the end of the series. They, like, hold it till the very end. And then it's this very long scene of what the con was. And you're like, I don't. I've <laughs> No, I live for that. I love those jump backs. And it also like ramps up my anxiety. I'm like, oh God, they're not going to get away with this. I'm gonna get away with this. And for then, sure, for sure. Yeah. But I do kind of like the little tiny interstices of mm-hmm. like them putting their hand under the table or whatever. Yeah. You see all along. There are a few episodes toward the end where it's a little Mar- Miss Marple where like no one knows what's going <laughs> on. And then you think that they're never going to get away with it. And at the end, they're like, we knew everything was happening the whole time. Yeah. And that's very the sting as well. Just where like, you don't know what's happening the whole time, but everybody else did. And I do like, I like both, but I think, I think you're right. I do like this where you get little bits and you find out, but part of the time you, you need to be tricked. Like you need to not know what's going on because that's the, that's the payoff. Yeah, that's why. Right. That's what you. Oh, that was impressive, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Um, and I was. It's just nice to see them like almost not get away with it, right? Because like they get the horse back, and then Sterling shows up. Yeah. Then and we, Mark Shepard slowly rolls up in a car and rolls the window down. You're like Lucifer has shown up. Yeah. Hello. Crowley is here. Oh my god. Seems like it's going to end poorly. Yeah, like nothing. This can't go right. Oh, I, I pulled up. I pulled up everything uh, that Mark Shepard's been in. So I'm just gonna name important things to me. He was, of course, um, Cecil Lively in an episode of The X Files. Fire from season one. He was in an episode of Sliders. He was in an episode of. Oh my God, I have seen Sliders. Oh, I don't think I have. I don't freaking love that show when I did watch it. The Practice, Star Trek Voyager, JAG. Nice. Jag. I have a friend who went to the Naval Academy because of the show JAG. Yes. He became a doctor. He was, of course, Badger in Firefly. He was yeah, a TV mur- movie of Murder, She Wrote. Um, he, he was in was CSI. It's because I also watched every episode of Murder, He was actually... He was uncredited as Man in Car. Um, I watched all nine seasons of Murder, She Wrote. One winter up in the mountains, and it was just like a lot of snow. Mm -hmm. The kids and I watched every episode of Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) Jessica Fletcher has like 8,000 nephews, like four times a season. One of Jessica Fletcher's (laughs) nephews. Jessica Fletcher wardrobe in that show is my like wardrobe goals for life. (laughs) I'm not kidding. She wears like a lot of tweed and a lot of like giant neck bows, and it's really good. Right, she, I mean, Jessica Fletcher is goals. Like, let's For be sure. honest. Less murder in my life, preferably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she has a really successful murder writing career, book writing career. So. Well, yeah, because she's got a lot of real life experience. Murders everybody and flames it up. Ugh. Okay. He was also in a season of 24, which I, it must have been after I stopped watching. It was once they killed David Palmer. I was like, I'm, I'm out. I can't. Excuse my favorite part of that show. Um, medium, Bionic Woman. The Middleman. Oh, yes, he was the Middleman. Middleman. He was Manservant Neville. So good. Battlestar Galactica, Dollhouse, CSI, Chuck. I forgot he was in Chuck. 
God, Chuck is so good too. He was in two episodes of Doctor Who, and he had an American accent, and that is like a crime. He's a Just crime. Good. I mean, I'm sure I watched them. Uh, it's when the Eleventh Doctor, when they go to the U.S., he's a Secret Service agent. Oh yeah. In the sixties, sixties, yeah. And Nixon's there, um, and he was in Warehouse Thirteen, and of is course, Supernatural. Yes, he is. He is prolific. That Mark Shepard. Yeah, he shows up and ruins everybody's plans, which is his mojo. Yeah, here's even Sophie, who is pretty. Sophie's a badass. Like I don't think anything phases her, and she pulls up. She's like, "Oh God." <laughs> so much trouble yeah they can't just give the horse to willie because sterling will do everything he can to make sh- to to screw nate over if he doesn't want to write a check for the com- for the insurance company and he doesn't want he doesn't want nate to win oh right now he thinks that nate is trying to get his old job back yeah and he's not gonna think that for long so now they've got to figure out something else and then we get some elliot and amy bantering so they're going to but they hadn't at that point they haven't figured out what they're gonna do and so they've just got hardison and parker keeping an eye on sterling and they like set up all the alarms in his car this is a this is a what i like to call a ron and hermione where if you go back to the very beginning of an otp you can mm-hmm. see the writers have set them up from like day oh. one. Oh yeah oh they're they're like from the first time we meet them yeah. But you know, do you know this about me? Like, I'm an OT3 shipper. Like, it's yeah. it's hard to send Parker and Elliot all the way. Yes, I mean, I'm not surprised by this. No. Uh, <laughs> no, you wouldn't be. I spend a lot of time on Tumblr. So, yeah. like, <laughs> I follow yeah. the leverage tags on Tumblr. So. I'm not, yeah, not a, I'm not alone in any of this. Like, it's. Uh, so I'm not, uh, I'm not implying that they're not an OT3. I'm just. <laughs> The two of them as a couple has started being written in yes. very, very if you go back okay. and look. Yeah. But also, yeah, it's it's written in really early and they let it they let it build not in a will they won't they kind of thing, but in a Parker's not in a place where she wants or can be in any sort of romantic relationship. And so it's just sort of building that foundation, which is really nice. Because usually if you do like a will they, won't they scenario, when they do, a lot of times that falls flat and yeah. ruins things. Or they do, they break up, and then they get banned. And by, by the time the two of them get together, it's like, no. Yeah, it's and it's good. And they, I love that they, they both like teach each other things. And that's already happening here. Because um, in, the, in the last episode, Hardison has to jump off a building. Yes. <laughs> Not psyched okay. about he just remembered gravity and he wasn't okay with them. Oh, good. Um, yeah, but we see... Uh, them getting caught by Sterling in the car. Uh, yes. messes with the computer in his car and, like, locks him in. And, and normally people would be really freaked out by that. Sterling just calls the police and reports that there's, like, screaming coming from the black van. Yeah. Um, and waves, waves at them. Like, he doesn't even know who that is. Like, at no. this point, he doesn't know who I, Nate's accomplices are. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, I got this. Whips out the American accent. <laughs> And, um, yeah, yeah, and and then we get the the perfect description of Sterling, which is that he's like Nate, but evil. Like he's evil Nate, which is so true. I think Parker and Hardison both had really great sunglasses, and I was like, yes, Go. <laughs> yeah. Especially when um, in a little bit when Hardison is like he's the driver and he's picked up the the Changs from the airport yeah. and he's got those yeah. those aviators on. Yes, it's very nice. Sophie's hats are great. Nate's hats are amazing. Yes. Do you think the van is called Lucille at this point, or do you think this is not Lucille yet? I don't think it is yet. Well, because I'm I think excited for the first time that she's named. Hmm. Maybe in Hardison said he's not. He's not confident enough with the group to tell them that she's got a name. This is my baby. Her name's Lucille. So the last episode was we got to see Elliot kind of be a character and he's the waiter and and he's like really over the top in this one he's he's playing a a character for much longer because he's the trainer and his acting seems so much more natural and like very subtle i mean i think he's kind of playing himself as the trainer yeah yeah and he's he's got some background in training obviously yeah less so in waiting you know being a waiter 
yeah, but he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, that that guy's like an asshole. He just, he, you got the special. and Yeah, I mean, I feel like he also kind of feels like Right, like all of that was like. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, man. Like, that's just how he treats people. Nate <laughs> That's true. That's really true. So Nate won't sell him back Baltimore. He needs it because Carly they... put the screws to him and said that there is an insurance issue. He's not allowed to have sold the horse yet because Sterling is just trying to screw over Nate. He doesn't know mm-hmm. what Nate's doing. But he knows there's a plan and he wants to screw it over. So he goes, because you can't have sold this horse. It's going to be in insurance fraud and we're not going to pay you. Mm. Elliot's like, don't, he's he's really stressed because he's got this other big deal that's going to go through, which sets Boss up for the next part of the con. I love when they're, they're still trying to set up what the con is, like how we're going to do this. And Parker and Elliot, no, Parker and Hardison come in and they're still arguing about the fact that, oh, we didn't mention this, that Parker is terrified of horses. Yes, terrified of horses, yeah. She saw a horse kill a clown. So, and then you get, you get a flashback. <laughs> the best part of that flashback is that I wasn't entirely sure Parker, Parker's grip on reality is not always like 100% in <laughs> terms of like her childhood. Yeah. So I was like, knowing what I know about Parker, like, did she really see a guy in a horse costume kill a guy in a clown costume? Or is this some, like, thing she tells people because she just doesn't have a reason to get her horses? Oh my gosh. Like, no, I just I... Oh, <laughs> yeah. Realistic flashback or just something happening in Parker's head. Oh, I never even entertained that. Like, to me... The clown didn't actually die. Like he just got the crap beaten out of him by a man in a horse costume. But the the idea that it, it is just all fabricated in Parker's mind because she is she's like holding her teddy or her bunny that right. she's carrying when she blows up that house in the first episode. Like Parker doesn't like to talk about her childhood or think yeah. about her childhood. Parker does not like to be emotionally vulnerable, so she's not going to explain the real reason she's terrified of horses, right? Which could just be like, I'm terrified of them. Who knows? Horses are very large. They're very large, and and we are not compared to them. Right. And they're really powerful. So, like, I just, I don't know. I just could imagine, like, the internal workings of Parker's mind, like, having a better... But she doesn't go into that. Like, she doesn't tell them, oh, I was at a kid's birthday party. Like, she literally, all they hear is... I saw a horse kill a clown. <laughs> like, and, and then they're just like, oh. And they, okay. they leave it. And she's just like, leave it. <laughs> Parker face. And <laughs> like, Wilbur loves Mr. Ed, like a second cousin twice removed. And then that gives that gives Nate the idea of doing the lost heir. Which is heir. great. Like I love that that jump. So good. To from, yeah, to the con to do. The best part to me about, I don't know, I think it's just the time period of like, it's enough internet for Hardison to take over everybody's internet and their mm-hmm. cell phones, but like nobody had smartphones. Yeah, so, or not as smartphones, yeah. So the Mark didn't just like whip out his iPhone 6 and look up like whether or not Secretariat had <laughs> a bunch of heirs. Yeah. Right? is that this horse has like the bluest bloodlines of any horse in mm-hmm. history <clears throat> they have the horse database like that's a real thing you know i believe it hardison hacks the horse database but like google would like wikipedia would also tell you yeah all of but, but not if it's like the lost heir that was like i don't know that's- but i don't know why you would because you could play that up play that up like even if there was no lost air and there's somebody out there who is so intent on like getting that big deal and like you know being that man uh, they would totally buy that lock stock oh yeah i just thought like this was one of those moments where i was like why is it not just google this on his phone then i was like oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah 2008 2008 yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and he's he tells Elliot that he's going to bring in all these investors and they're going to turn the industry upside down and people like the guy that Nate is playing are just going to be kind of out on their asses and yeah. there's going to be a new world order, which of course freaks out Amy, which then leads to them making out and then probably, 
probably doing it, definitely doing it in a, in a stall, in a stable. Gross and hay filled. And there's people everywhere and horses and horse crap. Um, so, I mean, friends don't have sex in horse stalls. No. <laughs> Whatever. Like, like Elliot has so much money. Like, they could go somewhere real nice. But I do love that she, like, they kiss, like, they're they're fighting. They kiss, and she, like, pushes him away, and he's like, oh, okay. And then she's like, screw it, and she, like, throws him against a wall. Like, I, I get, it. get it. Yeah. And then the, like the music it. that you hear over that is Christian Kane's band. Nice. So that's I actually him that singing. episode, she's like, no, it's fine, I'm over it. Yeah. Like, she's like, I'm still, like, super attracted to you, but I know this isn't gonna last. Like, I had a resentment. I got over it. I hit it. It's great. You obviously have other chick going on in your life. Like, let's move on. Yeah. Not like pining for him. Yes. Not just, like every time Elliot rides into town, you know, mm -hmm. she keeps the home fires burning for him. No, she's like, whatever. Bye. She's like, if I'm not seeing anybody, like, mm. yeah. Okay. But yeah, and it's and he's not like, oh, well, I'll call you. I'll be back, and so we don't have to worry about. Like weird, I don't know, like long distance thing. Like there are no expectations there anymore, which is really like some healthy closure for both of them. Yeah. 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 But I do love Sophie warning Elliot against chasing his past. And he's like, okay. You do not get to be. The please, person. please don't call like a pot black. No, no. Um, so great. So they have to steal. They're, so they're using Kentucky Thunder. So they have to steal a horse to steal a horse to, to steal a horse. The horse they own ish, <laughs> the horse they stole in a cheating poker, uh, is not uh, a not is sort of recognizable to the owner, and B is not a good enough horse. Yeah, to poor thankless smoke damage in his lungs. Poor so they have to steal horse. Yeah, so they, um, you know, they they hijack this this poor horse, and. They pretend that he's from the Beijing Jockey Club, which was a real yeah. thing. It was a real attempt to start a horse racing trust fund in China, um, but the government shut it down because gambling is illegal um, in the People's Republic of China, and they killed all 600 horses, which is just horrific. But now they're gonna pretend like they only killed 599, and this one was had just been born and was somehow smuggled out, and it has the bluest of bloodlines. Um, and then they just, Parker, or Hardison just picks up this father and daughter from the airport and like brings them. And then Sophie speaks Mandarin to them. And and she actually did, uh, the actress who plays Sophie, like learned a whole bunch of Mandarin, like two pages worth of it. So she could just talk nonsense to them. And then they cut most of it out. Aww. But she's just like, oh, he really likes your shirt. Where did you get it? Reminds me of that story of how Dolly Parton showed up on set the first day of Nine to Five, having memorized the entire script because that's she thought that's how you did it. Uh huh. Oh, like, that's not is that not how you do it? Everybody's lines. <laughs> it's like in the first couple seasons of The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Like if you pay really close attention, you can see Will Smith like like mouthing, mouthing the words because he did the same thing. He like memorized. He was so excited to be on television. And have his own show that he was like, <laughs> and I Will think Smith. that Emma Watson did it too. Will on Smith, I'm Harry Potter. Oh yeah, because she, she is Hermione. Yeah, so they they pulled this father and daughter in, and she keeps having to go to the bathroom, which of course is because Sterling has somehow intercepted her and given her a camera so he can find out what they're up to. Somehow that does not make any sense. Like when like. At what point and why is this girl just gonna talk to this strange man that she's never met before? Right. And oh, for sure shady. And then and then like she has to go to the bathroom 85 million times and no one just goes with her to make sure that she's like okay. Yeah. Like Sterling calls it sloppy and it is. Like hmm. it's some sloppy con work. Yeah. But, I mean, it just felt really slapdash anyways. Like, he's just got, like, a list, and he's like, well, these are two people who are together, and they they would pass to the bill. So, yeah, that that is kind of sloppy. But I wonder if it's just sloppy enough to be purposeful. Huh. Like, like, if Nate knew that Sterling would be watching them in some way, 
And he already had the con figured out enough that if he found out this little bit of information, it wasn't going to ruin them. Like he was still getting right. burned in the wrong tree. Trying to feed him just enough red herring to get him to feel, because Sterling wants to feel like he's smarter than Nate, and he wants to yeah. feel like really holier than thou. Yeah. So, or smarter, not holier for sure. But like, <laughs> yeah. So if he let Sterling like feel like he had outsmarted him, then he mm. could go about his. Yeah, life. that would you know throw him off the scent for just a little bit, and then like Sterling visits Nate in his in their office that they've commandeered and he's basically threatening him he's thinking now he's thinking oh he doesn't want his job back he's just become he's gone to their side he's a common criminal which is like a pretty like dark and chilling kind of interaction but in the original scene and what they shot was that parker hardison and sophie were all in the office when sterling shows up and so they're all hiding in this closet and when the camera pans away you can see the closet door pretty well so it was like this comedic thing, like they're all shoved in this closet and they're hiding in there until Sterling can leave, but then they cut it out, which just makes it this very serious scene instead. Well, and there is like, Sterling makes a crack about how the insurance company hates to write checks. That's like a crack at Nate's dead son. Yes. Oh my God. Oh, no, you were not like, like that's not a that you anybody. Yeah, no. Okay, so then they have another wrench thrown into their plans because they can't use Kentucky Derby because he has been sent off to the stud farm. <laughs> so they, yeah. Okay, but like, so I don't know anything about horses at all. I mean, I've like ridden a couple horses, but I don't know anything about like, whatever. Do you want me to explain what a stud farm is? No, I know what a stud farm is. <laughs> My question is like, when they were running Kentucky Derby to like show the mark that it was a great investment they clocked him as being faster than the last three derby winners mm -hmm. so he's the best the best horse that there is out running races mm -hmm. so like, taking him off the running circuit to make babies well but how long does a horse go to a stud farm for I don't know. Like, I mean, wham, bam, That's thank fine. you, ma'am, a couple times, and then right. you're good to go. And then you're fine. Yeah. And, like, I don't know if they just, <laughs> I don't know if they just, like, milk them or if they're, like, it's actual intercourse or what. <laughs> I didn't, I could have done some research on this, but honestly, I didn't want to. <laughs> they do just milk them. I think they do. Arabian breeding farms, and they have, like, a, like a pommel horse. Okay. Like, mm -hmm. like you would do gymnastics on, but it's built so that male horses can like masturbate against it. Mm. After they've been teased. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I just was like, why is this like fastest I... race in the world getting suddenly out of nowhere sent off to the stud farm? But maybe yeah. that's normal. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that too, and then I was just like, they just needed a reason for them not to have the horse. Like, it was just a plot device. Because then they had to go because we have to get this full arc of Parker. Because the door to the stables are locked, and so Parker has to crawl through the air ducts, which she is unhappy about. And she drops down into this back room where there's not supposed to be a horse. But then Amy remembers, oh yeah, sometimes there's a horse. When they're before they before they're teased, just feel alone with it. Yeah, um, and and then she gets to like have a little moment where she it doesn't hurt her or murder her. And meanwhile, Sophie has gotten the mark exactly where she wants him, but the the other half of the team has not shown up to their duty because yes. they're stealing the horse. And then there's a wreck. There's a wreck on the road that they're driving back on, so they can't get through. So Ellie yeah. just takes them. <laughs> and rides it. Yeah, bareback, no saddle. Just, yeah. he's like, oh, hang on, I got this. Hair, Christian Kane hair, Kaniac hair, just like flying <laughs> in the wind. Yes. In the, in the commentary, uh, John Rogers says they couldn't have done the show without camera phones for like that reason. Like, you know, Nate's like, Hardison, show me what's up, like what, what yeah. was happening. And then you get the video of him just riding away. Yes, into the sunset. <laughs> this girl 
Amazing. And then he rolls up and he's, well, I guess he gallops up and he makes a Pony Express joke because Christian Kane played a character who was in the Pony Express in the 2005 miniseries, Into the West. Nice. I didn't know that until the commentary. It's <laughs> like, oh, I need to watch that. That crew does some really good callbacks. Yeah. Yeah. He, they love those things. Like, Leverage has a ton of Doctor Who references in it, which are just, yes. The first time one of those happened, I was like, what? Did he just say Tom Baker? What the, what? Yeah, it's very happy. So yeah, they, they get, they get they the get horse, the horse there. They get the $12 million transferred over. They get the paper signed. And then Sterling shows up. Sterling shows up with all of Foss's investors. And he's like, I gotta tell you something about your horse. It's not your horse. And he has the trainer for Kentucky Thunder as well. And they pull it open and it's not, oh gosh, Bai Kui, Bai Kua. I keep oh. trying to think of the Chinese name for the horse. Um, it's the horse, the lost air horse. And yeah. it's not Kentucky Thunder. It's Baltimore, oh, <laughs> the original bear. horse. Which means he's tried to insure this horse for twelve million dollars, when before it was insured for two hundred and fifty thousand or something, which means have to write a check because it's insurance fraud. Mm -hmm. But also, Sterling was an idiot in front of all the investors. Mm -hmm. So Nate's like, "I saved you some money, but you're an idiot." Yeah, everybody's happy. Well, Sterling's not happy, but <laughs> no, Sterling is not happy. But then, since that second sale is invalidated for Baltimore it reverts back to Nate so Nate can give Baltimore to Willie along with a cool $12 million, which is good because owning horses is apparently real expensive and they will probably use that money pretty quickly. Yeah, well, they have to buy some new horses because all their side to fire. <laughs> and the next one's going to be called Mr. Ford. Mr. Ford. Yeah. Uh, I want a horse name for me. That'd be amazing. I know. It's just good. So, and then we get the great line from Amy about, you know, I could never be your family, but I'm glad you found one. Yes. And Elliot's in denial. They're your family, Elliot. They're your family now. And he They're kisses her on the nose, which is so cute. I feel like the tone of this episode is a really good balance of like them being smarter than everyone else, but not like so over the top smarter than everybody else because they like mm -hmm. really almost didn't away with it yeah there were so many close moments where they're like we're going to jail all right yeah. that's happening uh, now also nate playing like a drunk condescending slimy guy is it's pretty spot on really spot on perfect role for nate and it is perfect role and then i think not to get spoilery but in later seasons you really see where that comes real natural because he grew up with that and, and then you see kind of his counterpart, like Nate is far from perfect, but he could be Sterling. Right, well, he has morals. Like that's yeah. the problem. Nate's, Nate's whole problem is that he has like this deep moral center. Yeah. The very last scene is so good because he goes back to Leverage headquarters on his own and he's walking and you see somebody in the background and then he knows that it's Sterling and they have this like face off basically just like the last couple lines, Sterling tells him like, suffering doesn't automatically make you a hero. And he says, I never claimed to be. And he's like, yeah, but you think you're above the law? And he says, oh no, I like to think I pick up where the law leaves off, which is, you know, the, you know, we provide oh, leverage right. thing. Right. And then the, the very last, like Sterling, I'm not gonna be so nice next time. Like, like you were nice this time, okay. And he's, neither will I. And then they just like stare at each other. Yeah. That, like, prolonged. Yeah. And then there's like a moment where you could, Sterling definitely blinks first. It's like, who's crazier? Who's got the crazy eyes? Who's Johnny Ringo in this situation? Yeah, yeah. The crazy eyes. Um, yeah. Also, so same website, Fame Tracker. Mm -hmm. uh, also from, from whence came, hey, it's that guy, also came the term ho-yay, which is short for homoeroticism, yay. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, like some deep underlying bromance slash yeah, yeah. uh so there's like some for sure what's like what's like bromance like hate hate yeah they're like, like, they're like high sex like sexing yeah yes. yeah so yeah 
oh yay happening like under the radar in that. Do you, do you not believe that Mark Shepard does that with everybody? It's true. That's how he acts. It just... That's... Yeah. Well, I was gonna say also like, if you've been on the Supernatural crew, you automatically like, <laughs> just make up homosexual undertones for every... Yeah. You don't even have to make up homosexual undertones for Supernatural because they put them yeah. there and then don't do anything yeah. about it. That's intentional marinating on their part. Yeah, that's. Um, but I don't think they're doing that in No, no. <laughs> I don't think so at all. Um, and I love that. I love that end, like the prolonged eye contact, and then, without taking his eyes off him, he like turns halfway, until he can literally not keep his head turned, and then he turns around and walks off, and we have the fade to black, um, which is it's just good. And that's okay. the third episode. That's it. The two that's horse the, job. That's the two horse job. Yay. Um, okay, so I'm going to recommend a heist book for y'all today. The one I want to talk about is it's called Sex on the Beach. The amazing story behind the most audacious heist in history, which is really a big title to live up to. But it's the true story of Thad Roberts, who... Um, was a fellow in the NASA program who's an intern and he got into his head to steal some moon rocks. A terrible and, idea. Um, it's a horrible idea. And okay, first of all, they're not sending people to the moon anymore. Yeah, like these are they have a finite, a finite of- Yeah. <laughs> the book is by Ben Mesrick, who also wrote Accidental Billionaires, which the movie Social Network was based on. I just, I think he likes to write books about unlikable white men. And- uh, He has a world full of them to choose from. No, like, he's never gonna run out of material. I was telling you earlier, Corey, that like, I really disliked the main character, like the the person who steals Moonrocks. And I, I hate that, like, I really wanted to enjoy this book because I love heists, I love con movies and shows. Obviously, I wouldn't do a podcast about it, but I guess when you, I have to really accept this, like people who pull off real life heists, like it's not, they're not gonna be likable. They're doing a bad thing. (laughs) Even if they're doing it for like romantic reasons, which this guy totally is or thinks he is. Uh, But it is really neat. So I I live right down the street from Johnson Space Center where he stole these, these moon rocks. And so they'll, describe things from the Houston area or they'll describe like driving into the you know the entrance and I'm like oh I drive by that security gate every day so that was really neat and kind of finding out some of the inner workings of the NASA space program and stuff like that but he's super unforgivable and then you find out kind of how he gets caught so they they make this plan to steal the moon rocks and they want to sell them and like who's who's gonna buy moon rocks like so they send out they send out messages to find a buyer and a rock collector in like the netherlands he gets one of the emails and everybody else in his rock collecting club get the emails as well and they figure it's like a a scam and this guy takes it seriously and he contacts the fbi so you kind of follow both like bad roberts his career and his plan to steal the moon rocks. And then also the other side with this guy who's working with the FBI to kind of rope him in so they can get the rocks back. Cause they do get the rocks back. Like here's the other um, thing about the moon rocks that I was told by NASA scientists when I got trained to, uh, to be a person who can take the moon rocks for a weekend. Because there's a finite supply of moon rocks, they're all accounted for, right? Mm-hmm. Some that are being used for scientific research and some that are being used for outreach and education. You can't sell them. It's like trying to sell the Hope Diamond. Yeah, like people know. They're not, <laughs> they're like extremely yeah. trackable and extremely well like kept track of. So if mm-hmm. you get the moon rocks like for your public library, right? If you get trained mm-hmm. to be a rock person, which you can do, you mm-hmm. can go down to the asset, they'll train you. Um, I think there's a background check involved. You oh god, I definitely can't do it. They give you a suitcase suitcase, like full on Pulp Fiction style, right? Oh my gosh, are you like handcuffed to it? 
pretty much. So you, and you have to take it to the bathroom with you. Like the suitcase cannot be physically detached from you except when it's locked in a safe vault. And you can have it for like two days. You do whatever your community programs, come see the moon rocks. You cannot touch the moon rocks. They're in like a glass case. Yeah. Give them back to NASA. And that's too stressful. Like that'd be really cool to say that I had moon rocks, but also I would like just be riddled with anxiety the whole time. <laughs> in the area, I'm like, just go to NASA, children. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we have people who work for JSC and, and astronauts come do programs for us all the time. And they're like, astronauts will be in my library. And one will walk out and someone's like, do you know who that was? They were in the blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I didn't know everybody. But um, I worked at, in Gallup. Uh, Harrison Schmidt lives in Albuquerque. He's the last man to set foot on the moon. Mm-hmm. And he, it was like, yeah, I'll come talk at your library for free. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, what else am I doing? Right. What he actually does for a living is go around and give um, speeches on why climate change is fake. No, no. He gives a great talk about going to the moon. You're like, please don't talk about climate change. Just talk about your moon landing experience. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> Oh gosh, that's horrible. Uh, all right. Okay, let's wrap this okay. up. So yes, so Sex on the Moon, a fascinating read about an unlikable person. <laughs> Not unlike Sterling or Alan Foss from this episode of Leverage. Okay, um, Corey, where can people find you to follow uh, you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Helen's Twin, Helen S. Twin. You can also find me on Instagram at Helen's Twin, and you can find an archive of my writing about librarianship at storytimeunderground.com. Yeah, and as always, you can find me at librarianst on Twitter and on Instagram. And I don't know if you want to watch my YouTube channel, you can do that too. It's Reading Rainbow Hair. I talk about I talk about books. Okay, so thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back again with another episode in two weeks on the fourth episode of Leverage, which is called The Miracle Job, which I'm going to bring my, like, Catholicism know-how to this episode. Heck yes. I'm going to have to do some research and brush up on my Catholicism. All right. So thank you, everybody. We'll... Not see you, but you'll hear us in two weeks. (laughs) Okay. Yay.